That's music by Icelandic composer Anna Thorsvall's daughter. We're hearing the musicians of International Contemporary Ensemble. The piece is called In the Light of Air. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted. I have four guests in the studio today. Today's program is called Listening Party. Each of my guests has brought in a piece of music, and we're going to listen to it, and we're going to party. We're going to talk <laughs> about the music. I'm happy to welcome into the studio today Jeff Kowalkowski, Doyle Armbrust, Kyung Mi Choi, and Nomi Epstein. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thank hey. you. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. A piece was brought in by Doyle in the light of air, and we're going to listen to it in its entirety in just a moment. But Doyle, why did you bring it in? What do you like about it? This piece is on my radar primarily, I guess, because ICE asked me to write the program note uh, when they played this at the Museum of Contemporary Art. And I've just found myself totally captivated by it. And this concert at MCA was particularly special because this piece has a really strong visual element to it. Again, a great reason to choose it for a radio program. It has a, a light installation uh, that's sort of light bulbs hanging all around the stage that you know change in intensity as the piece goes on. But there are also these amazing metal sculptures, these kind of flat metal sculptures that are called clockabond, I think they're called. Um, it means a bind of ice. It's sort of like if you think of a window on which a shape has sort of formed with, you know, a pattern of ice. And these are just sort of amazing to look at. But, it, you know, her music is, it's just really special to me because rather than just being atmospheric or just being calming or introspective or something like that, I actually find it quite menacing. It really kind of depends on my mood when I'm listening to it, if I'm hearing it as something that is frightening or if it's just something that feels very calming. So she's from Iceland. Uh, Iceland has a little bit of a mystique to it. You know, there is something sort of special about that landscape. It can't help but sort of seep into her music. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying this as someone that's never been to Iceland, by the way. Yeah, but. I've been to the Reykjavik airport, and that, that, was, that was it. <laughs> Having flown, wow, wow is Iceland's airline or one of them. Great, let's listen to the whole piece in its entirety, and then we can all chat about it a little bit. So here again are the International Contemporary Ensemble to perform In the Light of Air by Anna Thorsvalsdottir.
That's music of Icelandic composer Anna Thorsvall's daughter. We're hearing the first part of In the Light of Air as the International Contemporary Ensemble performing a great new release on Sono Luminous, brought in for us by Doyle Armbrust. Today's program is called Listening Party. There are five of us listening very intently, not even looking at each other. I mean, just <laughs> <laughs> listening to this music, living the music. Right, exactly. And now we're going to chat about it a little bit. So I want everyone to just jump in as, as you feel you have something to say. And, and what are impressions of this piece as you were listening to it? I found it's very interesting to see the subtle shift that it's not really sitting in. It's constantly like uh, there is a vibe going on. So I found it's such a beautiful piece that the way it unfolds, mm. it keeps us really being connected to it. And I think she did a marvelous job. I agree. I think this is, this mm. is interesting. It's, it's an atmospheric piece, and yet the events happen. They're, they're spaced just at the right amount of distance. Right. You know, mm-hmm. you find yourself drifting, and then something happens. Right. Or, or I, and my, my expectations are thwarted, too, because I hear the drums in the beginning, and I thought, oh, maybe that will take over gradually over the course <laughs> of the piece. I've heard, certainly heard composers do that before. Or, oh, maybe the piano will become the most important thing. It's like, no, none of that. That's not right. the point. <laughs> yeah. um, there's something interesting that happens to you where the... Um, you know, just as maybe you start to get a little bit unmoored as a listener, mm. you know, there are these little gestures that return. I think the most noticeable one is probably the Ponticello line mm. in the cello. Mm-hmm. And so there's something that sort of like, you know, you regain your tether a little bit every so often that I think mm-hmm. helps sort of tie the piece together so that it's not just atmosphere. The Ponticello line that, that Doyle is talking about is when the cellist plays over the bridge, it makes a very kind of wiry sound. And when I heard that, of course, I know what it is as a composer, but it didn't matter. Like, I didn't think, oh, extended technique. I, I just thought, wow, that's, that's a, yeah, that's probably the right sound for, for this moment. <laughs> you know, good call. I yep. thought it had a very improvisatory sound to it, mm-hmm. and I could imagine it it being an improvisation. As far as whether or not she improvises herself, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that her music is very specifically notated, but she's also very careful to tell the performers that she doesn't want them locked onto their parts. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there is a little bit of flexibility there. And the thing that I find really interesting is that I think pretty much without exception, all of her pieces start out as, as drawings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of color, they tend to look like root systems of mm-hmm. some kind. So a lot of branches sort of going off. And she uses those, she says, as mnemonic devices as she's composing. It was funny, when you got in touch to do this, I felt like this radio show is sort of like a exploded version of when somebody on the street asks you like what were you what have you been listening to recently and you're like quick think of all the like super <laughs> fringe punk bands or like weird black metal bands you've listened to in the last um you know what i what i decided for this one was like what pieces do i actually go back to so like you seth i get sent a lot of cds mm-hmm. as, as somebody that writes about music and it's easy to chase after the bright, shiny object. And so I was trying to think of like, what, what albums do I actually like go back and pull down and listen to on a regular basis? And this is one of those ones. And I think some of these elements that we're talking about are, are the reason why. Yeah. yeah, that's a fantastic piece. Let's move to Kyung Mi Choi. Mm-hmm. The piece is In the Arms of Peril by composer Scott Wyatt. Tell us just a little bit about why you know the piece, why you brought it in. Okay, uh, Scott Wyatt. So he was my formal teacher. And I've been always very impressed by uh, his artistry and dedication. He had a lot of uh, different pieces, but the particular piece that I chose in the Arms of Peril, when I saw the title, uh, I just thought that it has a relevant tone to our current life, you know, in the society, nation. 
when I found that, and regardless of your political disposition, there's some sort of uh, sense of uneasiness and concerns and also some kind of form of fear. But there are a lot of contrasting material. Um, it's actually a very dynamic piece. And it also reflects really well of his uh, disposition as a composer that he's very interested in the drama and then dramaticism, uh, which also a very expressive way of uh, using this medium. And also I found that uh, because it was stage of uh, kind of a problem and peril that there are a lot of uh, things that you never really settle and it's very hard to settle but it also looks for some kind of relief you know throughout the piece mm -hmm. so throughout this uh, gesture of smaller idea and there's some kind of really bombastic sounds but as a structural point I think it's still very have a cohesive sense of moving somewhere and I found it's a very interesting uh, piece in a sense that using some recognizable sound. You know, it has a lot of uh, reference tone, so to speak, like human voice that sometimes you hear, sometimes you hear some car horns. So it's relatable, but it's positioned in a newer context. So I thought that was also very interesting. And I think it, I want to read a little bit of excerpts from his uh, program notes. He says, uh, as we proceed with our lives, hopes and dreams, and the daily ventures of life, we are at times exposed to increasingly dangerous provocations, threats, and serious challenges. For some, the real issue is survival. In this composition, through the use of sonic environments and events, such confrontations are relieved with the persistent search for threads of relief from the shadow of being in the arms of peril. Mm. All right, well, here is the fixed media piece in the arms of peril by composer Scott Wyatt, brought in today by Kyung Mi Choi.
an edgy piece. <laughs> I hope well, we didn't cause any car accidents or people to spill their coffee. <laughs> well, one thing that I uh, wanted to add actually is this piece, particular piece is for uh, designed for a channel. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's a lot of spatialization going yes. on. But if you really hear this piece in the open space, the impact is uh, much greater. Mm -hmm. I was I kept uh, relating this back to the piece that we just listened to, the first mm -hmm. piece. Um, and I think both of them have kind of this ominous feel mm -hmm. to them, yeah. but presented in completely different ways. One, yeah. you know, the first piece I felt like we were sort of being led by the sound, mm -hmm. and this one, the sound was really coming at us. And I think part of that is exactly what you were just saying, yes. the, the spatial yeah, or the movement right, of sound. Right. Yeah. Um, but also just the way that the speed at which sound changed, mm -hmm. right? There was a lot more change, a lot of different sounds mm -hmm. coming, coming at us. Right. For me, the terror of it kind <laughs> of actually came from the fact that the sort of naturalistic sounds right. uh, had really specific reference points for me. So like a pen writing on paper, mm -hmm. a marble rolling across a floor, yeah. a door slamming. You have these these really specific reference points and then the technology sort of comes in these tumbles yeah. um, mm -hmm. at you. And I, I felt like that uh, dichotomy of those two things, mm -hmm. although they, they, they're really beautifully put together, mm -hmm. like it really holds together. Yeah. Um, it's very cohesive. Mm -hmm. And yet those two things do feel quite disparate. Yeah. And so that to me is what made it feel unsettling. Right. Mm -hmm. I like the match sound at mm -hmm. the very beginning. Mm -hmm. 
What's the, the Chekhov, a, a gun on the wall in the first act will go off in the third, you know, mm -hmm. match strikes right. in the beginning. I mean, you have this sense of ominous <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. beginning, and then it, that comes to the fore as the piece goes forward. And again, that's Scott Wyatt. Mm -hmm. The piece is called In the Arms of Peril, and it's mm -hmm. a fixed media piece. This is a piece that is not written for instruments. We're not hearing notes. We're hearing painstakingly constructed piece. I can imagine it took him, you know, several months to put yeah, this together right. at the mm -hmm. very least. Mm -hmm. And it's brought in for us by Kyung Mi Choi. <laughs> You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show featuring the music of contemporary composers. Today's episode is called Listening Party. I've invited four friends into the studio to share some music with me and our listeners. To subscribe to our podcast for streaming versions of this and all previous episodes, or for a complete playlist of the music featured on the program today, you can visit relevanttones.com. Well, usually I'm here at the studio late at night all by myself listening to music, but on today's program, I've got some friends with me, which is so exciting. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Again, my guests are Doyle Armbrust, Kyung Mi Choi, Nomi Epstein, and Jeff Kolkowski. And when I was thinking of who I wanted to invite, I wanted to get very different perspectives on music from people. So we've got three composers and a new music performer who also writes a lot about music. I mean, all of you, you have such wide-ranging interests, different things that you're doing. I think it's really, really great. And I have a feeling that all these great things will continue as we move on to the next piece, brought in by Nomi Epstein, which is called Brocade by Linda Caitlin Smith. Nomi, can you tell us about the piece? Sure. Well, first I'll say that this composer is somebody who kind of recently came on to my radar. She's been released in the last, I think, few years by a UK-based experimental music label called Another Timbre. I automatically was very interested in this piece because its use of the harpsichord. And what she's doing is creating a relationship between these two instruments, right, these two keyboard instruments, the historical kind of Baroque keyboard and the modern keyboard. The relationship takes its shape in a number of ways. Uh, the piano leads and the harpsichord kind of echoes. Uh, the harpsichord leads and the piano echoes. One sort of finishes the other sentence. Uh, so they're, they're kind of always intertwined, related, but we know that they're different. It's quite a beautiful relationship to kind of follow throughout the piece, and it sort of becomes a narrative, I think. The other thing that that I think is quite interesting that happens by the end of the piece, and maybe you guys can tell me if this happens mm -hmm. um, during your listening experience too, but as I'm listening, I'm always thinking about the fact that these are two instruments, uh, related instruments, but from two very different time periods, and that one is quite old and one is you know, modern. At a certain point, I kind of reconsider this, um, I guess, temporal relationship or this historical relationship, and I feel like the harpsichord becomes um, almost as if the piano were an electroacoustic instrument and the, the harpsichord is as if it's copying what the piano has done, but kind of a, a filtered or a delay pedal. And so I kind of think of the harpsichord actually as quite new and maybe that's the electronics mm -hmm. and not an old historical keyboard. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, well, let's hear the piece. This is called Brocade. It's by composer Linda Caitlin Smith. Again, it's for harpsichord and piano. Thank you. 
That's a piece for piano and harpsichord. It's called Brocade by Linda Caitlin Smith. It was brought in today by Nomi Epstein for a listening party. Well, let's hear what people thought about the piece. Let's start with Jeff. Jeff, what were you thinking about while you were listening to that piece? I enjoyed it very much. I liked the sound of the harpsichord related to the piano. I was kind of obsessed with the tuning and wondering if it was intentionally slightly phased or if it's just my ear hears the two timbres as it's not that they're out of tune, but it has a shimmering quality. The timbres are so different from piano and harpsichord, especially like unison lines between the piano and the harpsichord. I think that's kind of a daring gesture, Um, but she does it very well. And it reminded me of um, quarter tone piano pieces of Ives a little bit. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why I wanted it to be microtonal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Also, it's a harpsichord, so if you look at it weird, it's going to be out of tune. I was just going to say, I I don't think you can get a harpsichord and piano in tune with each other for any length of time. I I just don't. Because that was the first thing I thought, honestly, you know, when you said it's a piece for harpsichord and piano, and and it was a part of my brain that went, ooh, you know. (laughs) But she knows what she's doing. I mean, much like Charles Ives. I mean, he wrote those pieces very much knowing what that would sound like and having those resonant sounds. And and it is an imitative piece. You know, one will follow the other. And I agree. It is kind of this mind mess because you're like, is it, is it, is it, or am I, (laughs) you know? It was interesting how digital the harpsichord started sounding, which I think is kind of what you're referring to with like a, a filter or something like that. Like I kept getting a mental image of um, Chuck Close mm-hmm. does those huge portraits where if you're up close they're sort mm-hmm. of pixelated and then if you mm-hmm. back up they're kind of hyper realistic mm-hmm. I kind of felt like every time the piano was playing I was seeing the curvature of the line and then when the harpsichord was playing I was seeing it like too far up close or mm-hmm. something like that not in a not in a um, anything other than a beautiful way but just it was an interesting sort of change of perspective mm-hmm. yeah you know, I, I just think uh, even though it's two instruments, to me, it's actually behaving as a one. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking about like a reflection. So piano sound is more upfront and then more like a main. But then the harpsichord is kind of echoing in very reflected way. So it's almost like a, you know, rippled water effect, mm-hmm. you know. And I thought that tails, you know, kind of fades away and then image, you know, occurs again as a one unit. Mm. And I just thought it was actually really beautifully handled. Great. Well, we're going to finish up with the piece that Jeff Kowalkowski brought in. This is called Nonette by Herbert Brune. Jeff, tell us about it. Oh, thanks, Seth. Thanks for having me. Um, Herbert's probably more known for his work, pioneering work in computer synthesis and artificial intelligence and um, the Sawdust Project at U of I. His graphic scores, some of the first scores that were created by a computer, where he wrote all the code and everything. But he also used computers to write chamber music. And this is from a CD that was released by the Electronic Music Foundation in uh, 1998. And um, I wanted to play a no-net, a nine-piece ensemble. And this is the um, University of Illinois New Music Ensemble, and Herbert's conducting. And the piece was written in 1969, but I think they recorded it in the mid-90s. Another thing I always uh, admired about Herbert is his writing, and there's a, a book called uh, A Collection of All His Writings that came out that's titled When Music Resists Meaning. <laughs> and I myself published an article about Herbert's music and perspectives of new music. That's what he's fascinated by is anti-communication. Great. Well, we're going to finish up. This is called No Net by Herbert Brune.
Music of composer Herbert Brune. The piece is called Nonette, partly because it's for nine instruments, but there's also a kind of sly sense of humor in the title. <laughs> and I think in the music as well, especially the ending there. <laughs> suddenly we have a new timbre. Yeah. <laughs> Nomi, what are your thoughts on the piece? Maybe I'm being swayed by what you said, um, Jeff, when you were presenting the piece about meaning in music. But I thought a lot about energy in this piece and where the energy was coming from. And it was, I thought, a peculiar kind of juxtaposition of different energies. Probably as a first listener, I think it doesn't really have like a you know, gigantic you know, structure that you will see some arrival point mm-hmm. or nothing right. like that. Mm-hmm. But what I've noticed is more like, a, it's almost like a mosaic. And then inside of those mosaic, there are a lot of details, you know, so, and then it moves around. But the, the way it moves around doesn't seem to have any coherent mm-hmm. way of doing it. So that I think that uncertainty makes this piece very energetic in, in a very interesting way. So, yeah, I, f- yeah, I feel really breathless after mm-hmm. listening to that piece. Um, it's interesting, like the, the music slows down on occasion, sure. But, right. you know, you have all of these sort of short utterances from each instrument or mm-hmm. pairs of instruments. Mm-hmm. And it always felt like it was reaching for something. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for it to arrive, and it never mm-hmm. arrived, and that, there's something really striking about that. Yeah. I'm also, I'm always fascinated by how a composer moves music forward in time. I mean, there's, you know, a lot of ways of keeping the piece going, and, you know, it's an 11-minute piece, and my interest, at least personally for me, never flagged at all. And I hear what Doyle's saying, and, and, and we're all kind of saying in a way, which is that the interest is not coming from the structure or the form, but from mm-hmm. this sort of piece itself and, it's, and how it's moving or not moving at any given time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and old, old Herb uh, really had that horn player earning his paycheck on that one, oh, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> players are, yeah. Really pulling some of those out of nowhere. <laughs> Hats off, horn player from 1989 <laughs> or 98. Yeah, that was members of the University of Illinois New Music Ensemble. And the piece again was Nonette by Herbert Brune, brought in by Jeff Kolokowski. This has been a listening party. We have four guests in the room, Jeff Kolokowski, Doyle Armbrust, Kyung Mi Choi, and Nomi Epstein. And I did not invite these people in just because they provided probably the most eclectic selection of music (laughs) on earth, (laughs) but also because they're outrageously talented people themselves. So if you want to find out more about their various and sundry projects, please do visit us at relevanttones.com. This episode of Relevant Tones was produced by Rebecca Neistad. Sarah Zwinklis is the series producer. Heather McDougall is the project manager, and the executive producer is Tony Macaluso. Special thanks to our intern, Liz Peterson. Relevant Tones is made possible by the generous support of the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music and the listener supporters of WFMT. I'm Seth Bostead from the WFMT Radio Network, Chicago.